to Luke 24, at least the general area. Um, and Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible in a year uh, as a church. And then Wednesday nights, we take a, a piece out of what we've been reading this week. So this week, we wrapped up the whole Gospel of Luke and then found ourselves in the beginning of the Gospel of John. And uh, next week, we're going to get uh, a good bit of the way through the Gospel of John. The week after that, we'll be getting into the book of Acts. Um, so it's, we're really starting to hit, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's all very relevant in that sense. But there are some chunks that are just a little more uh, exciting. There's some chunks that are just a little more like, okay. And as we're wrapping up the year, we're going to hit like the condensed New Testament. And it's going to be everything back to back. You know, later on, uh, by the time December rolls around, you'll be reading like, the book of Philippians on one day, and the book of Colossians in one day. And it's exciting, and it's fast-paced, and there's so much there. Um, but we get some just beautiful stuff in the Gospels about the life of Christ, um, just who Jesus is and what that means. As we're getting into the Gospel of John, a couple things to remember. Um, number one is John is written a lot later than the other three Gospels. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written pretty shortly after Jesus had uh, resurrected and the church had been started, but John was written uh, several decades down the road. And so John is writing specifically to help correct some heresies and some false teachings that are, that are starting to arise in the church. And so there's an interesting thing as you're watching John, where John is saying, okay, I want to be very clear on who Jesus is. And so we're going to get a watch in the Gospel of John, Jesus explain himself very clearly. And there's a lot of uh, people talk about Jesus makes seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And he's going to describe himself. He's going to describe himself as the bread of life, as living water, um, as the son of man. He's going to give us a lot of descriptions of who he is. And so John has a lot of that, okay? And it's going to, we get some just amazing teachings from Jesus Christ himself to us as believers. Uh, so it's a super rich book. So just, you know, savor it as you're going through it and, and really approach it with a mindset of, okay, what is the Lord wanting to say to me right now? Um, but tonight, we're going to start, we're going to kind of look at chapter 24 as a whole. I think we're going to wind up primarily, um, we probably, we won't get through the whole chapter, I don't think. Um, but if you have a Bible and you don't mind opening it up to chapter 23, verse 55, uh, we're going to kind of read it in a couple big chunks and then go back and dissect it a little bit. Um, just to help us get a little bit of a fuller context. So if you want to read along, that would be awesome. If you have a digital Bible, it's New American Standard, um, and get rid of the digital Bible. But um, anyways, if you want to switch it over to a New American Standard, we're, you can read along. If you don't have a New American Standard and it's easier to listen, you can do that too. Um, but starting in chapter 23, verse 55, it says, Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. That's him being Jesus after the crucifixion. And then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. 
And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles, but these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So this is the context. All right, context. Jesus died. They put him in the tomb. We saw the dead body go in the tomb. Oh, it's Sunday morning. We showed up. Stones were rolled away. It's kind of interesting. You know, two angels show up, say... Why are you looking for the living one? They didn't say for somebody who's alive, right? Because Jesus isn't just alive. He's the living one. And it's an active verb. He is alive, right? Because it's not he was alive, right? And this is, I mean, we all know this, right? But it's good to be reminded. Lazarus got resurrected, and Lazarus was alive. But Lazarus is not actually <coughs> still alive. Jesus got resurrected, and he is alive, Right? Verbs are important. And so just don't ever just, you know, remember that when we're talking about who, what is God doing in your life? Not what was God doing. Not what did God do. Those things are important and they're important to hang on to. But really, we want to keep in mind that we live a present tense faith, right? We have a huge treasure to look back on, right? We have the entire Bible to look back and see what did God do. We have huge chunks. Somewhere around a quarter of this book is prophecy, Huge chunks to look forward to. What is God going to do? But we have the present. That's what the Lord gives us, okay? What is the Lord doing? And um, so just keep that in mind. So that's kind of our context of where we're at as the story is unfolding. And then verse 13, we're going to read verse 13 uh, through 35, and then we'll go back and break it down. Um, verse 13, and behold, two of them were going <clears throat> that very day, to a village named Emmaus that was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. <clears throat> and he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they were approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So that's a big chunk, but I want us to have the overall story in mind so that we, as we're referencing stuff, it's a little easier to keep in context. So, Point number one, as we're looking at this, these guys are walking on the road and they're talking with each other about the things that have happened, which makes sense, right? Jesus rode in to Jerusalem a week before that, had a huge reception, everybody loves him, he dies less than a week later and now his tomb is empty, right? That's kind of new and noteworthy, okay? So we're talking about this and Jesus comes up to them and they don't recognize Jesus, they don't recognize that Jesus Christ is standing right in front of them. Now, you could argue a, different, a couple different things, okay? And some people have said, you know, well, maybe he still had a bunch of scars from his crucifixion, and, and maybe the Lord blinded their eyes. And there's a lot of speculation, and we don't really know for sure exactly what that looked like. But these guys don't recognize who Jesus is. And so he becomes this guy, you know, fellow bum, walking along with him. He says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they say... Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who's unaware of these things? And he said to them, what things? Now, I heard it said once that it's kind of ironic that they say, are you the only person who doesn't know what's going on? When in fact, Jesus was the only person who knew what was going on, right? But notice something. Uh, They say, are you the only one? And these guys, they thought they had an understanding of the situation, right? These guys have seen what happened. They were keeping up with the, you know, the Jerusalem Post or whatever, and they're, they're watching, and they know what happened, what's, what's the current latest thing. You know, don't you know what's going on? Do you not know what's happened? We understand the full picture, right? These guys are thinking that they see the whole thing as it's going on, but, but remember something we just talked about, which is that they're not recognizing that Jesus is standing in front of them. So as far as they're concerned, they understand the whole picture, but... As far as we're concerned, looking at this, they're missing a fairly sizable piece of the picture, right? And so Jesus, you know, he says to them, what things? And they say to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people. This is really interesting. And I noticed this this year, um, really for the first time. Jesus, what do you, you know, what things? And they say, we're talking about Jesus, who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. Now, why do they call him a prophet? Jesus never called himself a prophet, right? Jesus called himself the son of man. He called himself the son of, which was a title for the Messiah. He called himself the son of God. He let Peter call him the Christ, right? Jesus never said, I'm here as a prophet. So why are these guys saying he was a great prophet? I think, and as, I'm, as, I'm, as we're reading through this, um, these guys had had an expectation of who Jesus was, and Jesus hadn't met their expectation. And so he goes on, and in verse 21, uh, Cleopas says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. You know, we were hoping he was the Messiah. Guess we were wrong, right? We were hoping, we were hoping he was gonna redeem Israel. We were hoping he was gonna save, uh, save us from the Romans, but you know, I guess it, we were wrong. So, obviously, 
he's not the Messiah in this case. He must, maybe he's just a prophet, right? Maybe he came to give us some, some good moral teachings. Maybe he came to give us some good ideas. And, you know, I mean, prophets get martyred a lot. So that kind of makes sense. So, you know, he was, a, he was a mighty prophet. He was kind of a, you know, a level one prophet. But he was a prophet who died. And uh, we were hoping that he was going to deliver Israel. And this is what's so, so critical for us, I think, to, to kind of grasp overall. And that is this. Sooner or later, for each and every one of us as Christians, there will come a point in time when God does not live up to our expectations. Sooner or later, it will happen. There will, either, there will be something that goes wrong. And it might be that God does not choose to restore a certain relationship. It might be that he doesn't choose to fix a certain problem or to, to ease a certain financial burden. It might be that he does choose to do something uh, that you don't approve of, right? But sooner or later, for each and every Christian, God will not live up to your expectations. And the question then becomes, what do you do as a result of that? Okay, Cleopas did what we do way too often, he reduced God in his mind to make it more palatable, okay? If God didn't live up to my expectations by showing himself to be the Messiah and conquering the Romans, he was probably actually just a prophet, right? Because prophets, you know, if a prophet gives you something and it doesn't come to pass and he gets martyred, you can say, well, we were hoping, maybe it was more of a long-term thing, maybe it was metaphorical, maybe there's a little more to it, right? But if the Messiah doesn't live up to your expectations, what does that mean? Does that mean, that, that might mean, that means either you failed or God failed, and, and if you're as smart as Cleopas is, or as we think we are, then it can't be that we failed, so something must be wrong with God. So what's the easiest thing to do? We reduce God in our minds, right? And what happens, here's what's scary, Cleopas has reduced God in his mind to the point that God is standing right in front of him, and he can't see him. Okay, so we all, we all come to this point sooner or later. It's going to happen where God does not meet your expectations. God does not make your life as perfect as you want it to be. God does not make my life as perfect as I want it to be. And what do we do with that? Okay, that's really the question. That's what we have to understand. That's what we have to be able to come to terms with because sooner or later it's gonna hit. And a lot of times it will hit hard when it does hit, right? I mean, it's still, you know... We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe in the hope of resurrection. But life is still hard. The world is still a rough, dark place. And so things happen to people that we look at and we say, I don't get it, right? I prayed for that situation. I prayed for that person, okay? I prayed that that person wouldn't walk away from the Lord and they did. I prayed that that person wouldn't die and they did. I prayed that this situation would resolve and it didn't. I prayed that that marriage would hold together and it didn't. So either I can't pray well, or God doesn't listen well, or something is broken here. But what happened? Sooner or later, for each one of us, God does not meet our expectations. And Cleopas reduced God in his mind to make it a little more palatable. Because if a prophet fails, okay, that's a bummer. If God fails, there's no point in life, right? So he's trying to reduce God to make him more palatable, but that's not the right approach. Because reducing God blinded him to actually seeing God. So what's the right approach? Okay, because it's important to understand that that's the wrong approach. But we have to understand what's the right approach. And the nice thing is, the scripture gives it to us right here. And Jesus 
said to him, O foolish men and slow of heart. Listen up, dum-dums, right? Um, He says, you are missing the entire point. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? He says, guys, do you not get this? The Christ had to suffer. Now notice what he did first of all. He reoriented who he was, right? He didn't say it was necessary for the prophet to suffer these things. He didn't say it was necessary for the messenger or for the teacher. He said the Christ had to suffer, right? And Christ is not his last name. It is his title. He's not Jesus Christ. He's Jesus the Christ, okay? So he's saying, first of all, guys, Cleopas, Cleopas and staff, whoever this other guy is, we don't know. Um, Cleopas, we're talking about the Christ. We're not talking about a prophet. We're not talking about a guy who gives us cute moral sermons. We're talking about the Christ, Okay, And then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. So what did he do? He said, you know, let's start in the book of Genesis. Okay, guys? We got about seven miles. You're walking, whatever, let's say you're walking slow. I don't, I don't know what the road to Emmaus was like. Let's say, you, you know, it's a three-hour walk. Okay? We got three hours. Let's start with Genesis. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he began to explain to them all the things written about himself in the scripture. So what do we do if God doesn't live up to our expectations? We remind ourselves of who God is. Remind ourselves, among other things, the fact that God does not owe you anything. He doesn't owe you the right to live life according to your expectations. He doesn't owe you an explanation for why he doesn't choose to always live up to our expectations. But who is he? He's still the Christ. So if you want to orient yourself, remind yourself of who he is and then go through the word of God and see who does God declare himself to be and go through the whole word of God, right? He started with Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, all right? So Jesus says, let's start in Genesis, right? Christianity in America today has this idea that somehow the Old Testament isn't fully palatable, right? There's a pastor in Atlanta, Andy Stanley, told pastors that they need to unhitch the Old Testament from their churches. So you need to unhitch the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament, in his mind, is holding people back. Well, you know what? That's wrong. I'm sorry. There's there's no nice way to say that. But a man in a position of influence, I would not want to stand before God someday and say, I told your people to not read part of what you said. Because Jesus evidently thought it was important, right? Jesus said, let's cover who I am and let's start in the book of Genesis. And then after we're done with Genesis, let's go to the book of Exodus. And after that, let's go to the book of Leviticus because every single book of the Bible is declaring who Jesus is, right? It's either looking forward or looking back, but they're all telling us the same single narrative. And they were all pointing up to this week in human history, right? And Cleopas is standing over here saying, you know, he was a nice prophet. And we had kind of hoped that he was going to do things this way, but somehow that failed. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let's just start at the beginning, right? Let's rewind the tape and let's start it over. And I'll point out to you the key plot points along the way, all right? So if you are at a point where God is not meeting your expectations, do not reduce God to make it easier to digest, Right? Don't limit God's power and say, well, maybe it's just you know, forces outside of his control or maybe he's not all good or maybe he's not all this or maybe he's you know, doing something. No, 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 no. Broaden your mind. 
right? And you cannot broaden your mind in and of yourself. It takes God revealing his word to broaden your mind. So you got to go back and let the Lord explain the scriptures to you. Okay, well, how do you do that? Well, you do that with the power of the Holy Spirit, right? John 1 describes Jesus as the word. And he's not saying that Jesus is the Bible or the Bible is Jesus. But in some ways, he's kind of, it's, you know, it's a little bit poetical and it's a little bit hard to understand in some ways. But John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's referencing Jesus. And if you want to look at it in some ways, Jesus is in a lot of ways, he's the message of God. Right? He is God. He's fully God. He came to earth. He was fully God, fully man. He, he was the atonement, but he's also the message. He's the message of hope. He's he's. He's how we relate, okay? So the message is one side of that. The word of God is also part of the message of God. So Jesus is the word, and the word is divine, and together they reveal each other. The word tells us who Jesus is, and Jesus tells us who, what the word is, all right? So they're going on from there. And, I mean, you, gotta, you can only imagine what would that be like to have a three-hour teaching with Jesus Christ, Right? Saying, let's just like, let's unpack some of this. Because, you know, theologians spend all kinds of time going through, digging through, okay, if we, you know, if you take the seventh Hebrew letter of every fifth word in the book of Leviticus and spell it this way, and then you start at the back of the book and spell it this way, you can spell out this whole gospel message. People can, you can do it, actually. Not like that. There's stuff like that, though. Um, But what was Jesus noticing? Like, what is, you know, what does Jesus enjoy thinking about when he looks at the Old Testament and says, oh, this is my favorite part about myself, right? Um, But he started at Genesis, and he goes through, because the word opens our minds to understand who Christ is. And then he goes on, and as they approach the village, and this is kind of a fascinating thing to me, um, he's, you know, I don't know what exactly his, I don't know how this played out. But you can kind of read it like a movie script. And I picture it as just like a very cheesy actor. Like it says he acted as though he's going to go farther. Like, well, guys, I'll uh, keep walking along, right? No, 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 uh, stay for dinner. And so he stays and he goes in to stay with them. When they reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So... So when did they recognize Jesus? It was in the breaking of bread. Or, depending, and I don't want to go too abstract, I guess, theologically here. But, in the book of Acts, chapter 242, we get uh, a model of what the early church looked like. And really, it's the model for what we try and base this church off of. And we think it's a very biblical model for how church should function. And it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and prayer. And then just a couple verses later, it says, and the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. And so, as a church here, we believe that we should continue in the apostles' teaching, and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and prayer. And that the Lord will add to the church those who are being saved. Well, these guys, if you think about it, what do they have? They had the apostles' teaching, they had Christ teaching, which is, I'd say, pretty similar or a little better. Um, they had fellowship. They had all day with Jesus Christ. They had breaking of bread and prayer. And as those all were achieved, their eyes were opened. And they recognized that's Jesus Christ because 
the Lord was adding to the church, those who were being saved. All right? So go to the Word. Go, you know, you guys are all here on Wednesday night, right? Come to church, right? If you want to experience what the Lord is doing, then experience the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer, right? And that's what, that's how we get our eyes open to who Christ is because we all come together, you know, we're all like a collective group of dysfunctional people. But if we all come together, you're functional or I'm dysfunctional and I'm functional where you're dysfunctional. And collectively, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can help each other. Open each other's eyes to see what the word is saying, right? But don't underestimate also, so, okay, you, so you get in the word. You get in fellowship and you let the Holy Spirit, you let the power of God open up your eyes, Okay, that's the important part because you cannot, I cannot of my own free will broaden my understanding of the word. I can learn a lot of facts about the word of God, right? And there's a lot of great facts about the word of God. I can learn all kinds of facts. There are books and books and libraries of facts about the word of God. And that's great stuff. But do you know about the word of God or do you know the word of God? Right? Just like, do you know about God, or do you know God? And so, sure, read the books, read the commentaries, listen to the teachings, right? But get in the Word personally, and then let the Lord open your eyes. And I love, it goes on, and we won't go there through the whole chunk, but then um, these guys get up, and they run all the way back to Jerusalem to compare notes with the other disciples, and the other disciples say, yeah, actually, he did rise. Uh, somebody else saw him too. This is kind of getting a little bit weird, right? And then they're all sitting around talking, and Jesus is all sitting in the room with them. And they kind of freak out, which is, an, I'll give them some slack and say that's understandable. Um, and then he kind of calms them down, and um, you know, once again tells them, hey guys, probably should have been listening a little better when I was explaining this because in verse 44 he says these are my words which i spoke to you while i was still with you i told you this all before uh that all things which are written about me in the law of moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled so um it's interesting that he really right there is covering the entire bible as we look at the old testament you have like the histories the prophecies and the poetry and so jesus evidently thinks that the whole old testament is valid because he says the law of moses and the prophets, and the Psalms, right, are all talking about me. And then, verse 45, it says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I have no idea what that would have looked like right in that moment, but it had to have been pretty epic, right? I mean, you think about, just for a second there, if you're a disciple sitting in that room, and God opens your mind, and, and you're, he says, this, it, all the scriptures have been talking about me, and he opens your mind, and all of a sudden you can go, wait a second. So when Abraham offered Isaac, that was like a picture. Or when Isaac got Rebekah, or, or when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, right? Or when, you know, when, when, when Noah was in the ark, right? Or, or when Joshua crossed the Jordan River. Or like, it was all pointing to Jesus. The whole thing. Jesus opened their minds, right? And here's the, here's the just phenomenal, fantastic thing. Jesus has ascended back into heaven right now, but he promised us as followers of him that he was going to send a helper who was even better for us 
than he was, right? So Jesus, right there in that moment, opened their eyes. And then he proceeded to send the Holy Spirit to open everybody else's eyes, right? So, God does not live up to our expectations sometimes. That's just a fact of life. You don't have to like it, but it's a reality. God will do things that we do not understand, and he oftentimes will never explain why. And that's okay. We don't, you know, we can, we can, we can, we can pout over it, right? But that does not change a reality. So if God does not live up to our expectations, we don't have to reduce him. Cleopas was trying to somehow wrap his head around it, okay? Cleopas was trying to figure out how can I understand this and, and get this all to fit inside my mind. And Jesus came along and said, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to expand your mind. In fact, I'm going to blow your mind with who I am and what I'm doing. Right? So you can try and wrap your head around God, or you can let the Holy Spirit open your mind. Right? So, if we, I want to let the Holy Spirit open my mind, because, like, I want to learn, you know, I'm, I'm 25. I'm, if I'm lucky, I'll live to 85. That means I have 60 years left. I can't possibly learn everything I want to learn in that amount of time. Right? But if the Holy Spirit blows my mind open, I can learn an awful lot of the stuff that actually matters. Right? So, okay, that's great. So practical, real-world application, right? Because it's always nice. I like sermons to end with kind of an actual call to action. So we're reading John this week, all right? When you sit down to read John, when you sit down tomorrow morning and you're going to read John 4 and 5, say, okay, Lord, you promised to send your Holy Spirit to anybody who asks. I'm asking right now, for the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart as I'm going through the Word. And have a pen ready. Because I'll show you something that you might want to write down. All right? Approach the Word of God expectantly. Like you expect Him to have something relevant to say to you. And He will have something relevant to say to you. The Lord likes to give gifts to people who use them. So if you're going to show up to the Word of God ready to hear from God, God is ready to speak. Right? If you show up like, you know, like we all do occasionally from time to time, the, uh, you know, it's 7.43 and I've got something to do at 7.45, what's the shortest chapter in the Bible? Um, you know, sometimes that's not really the best way to approach it. Uh, but if you approach the Word and say, and, and if you're on time crunch, the Lord understands. The Lord can speak really efficiently. Um, he'll usually tell you what you're doing wrong really efficiently. Um, but... Ask the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit wants to do just amazing stuff. But don't try and wrap your mind around God. Don't try and wrap your mind around what God's doing or what God isn't doing. Let God, let the Holy Spirit open your mind, right? Because if you try and wrap your mind, you start saying things like, God is a great prophet. Or we were hoping that he was going to do this, right? If you let God open your mind, that changes. You get things like when Peter, in his letter, says the Holy Spirit has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, right? There's a lot encompassed in that little word, everything, right? So you could try and wrap this all around and turn Jesus into this digestible little package, or you can say, you know what? God has given me everything I need, and so I want to live like I've been given everything I need, and I expect 
I live with that expectancy that God is going to work in me, God is going to work through me, that God has a plan and he wants to establish and that he is doing something right now. And I wanna let him open my mind. So I'm gonna go to the word, I'm gonna go to the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna receive all that he has for me. And that, friends, is an exciting place to be. That is when God starts doing pretty cool stuff, right? So, with that being said, God, we pray that you would blow our minds with who you are. God, we want to come expectantly. We want to be ready for all that you have for us. We want to be excited to approach your word. We pray that you would transform us through it, that you would just move in our hearts and our lives, and that you would have your way with us. And it is in the name of Jesus the Christ that we pray. Amen.